I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Sam. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, uh, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. How is it that we got row upon row in the back, but the entire first half of the front row? Come on, y'all. Come on. All right. Abu, I see you. I see you right now. <laughs> yeah, Charles got it. Yeah. Anyway, well, welcome to Redemption Peoria. Um, so, hey, here's where I want to start. This Sunday is uh, sometimes tricky. We joke as a staff that it's uh, State of the Union Sunday. We, we've kind of always designated it as a time where we could talk about mission and vision, just the church where we're at and all that stuff. And um, we're going to kind of touch on some of that, but we're actually going to cover John 17 and dig into it. Uh, we're going to do some stuff. I'm really excited towards the end, stuff I've been waiting to do, honestly, for probably four or five months now. Where I do want to start, though, is something really important for me to put out there as we kind of get going uh, in regards to um, just our church. And I, I need you guys to know how I feel about some of this stuff because um, it is important and it's going to feel, I need you to track with me at least uh, to the end because it's going to feel a little bit awkward. But this is important that I share this. Um, how many of you guys um, are a husband here? Can you raise your hand real quick? The husbands? So um, I need to, very quickly, um, I need to let you guys know where I am at with um, really not understanding your wives. Um, it's funny, but not really. Uh, the reality is I have found myself frustrated over and over and over with them. Um, I don't even quite honestly understand the point of a wife in general, but that's a whole other uh, uh, conversation. The reality is, um, yeah, honestly, I, I feel like, and that's in generalities, I'll go like kind of specifics, like Victoria Bates, singing-wise, I don't, yeah, I can't, if you've ever sat next to her, um, Melissa Cosby does not give at all, like she's not a giver, um, if Emily Harrison, she's not very deep, she's more like a poppy person, not very deep at all, um, you're laughing, but the reality is like, this is what I feel, and I want to share it uh, with you guys um, you know, there's, I feel, I, I feel like I'm not loved at times for a lot of your wives. Um, don't feel prayed for. I can think of Diana Macklin and Kimmy Claus who, um, yeah, just, I don't feel loved. And I want to share that with you guys, um, with where I'm at with that. You think it's funny, but it's not. So John 17, do you feel that though? Do you feel that? Like, it's like, huh, like, is it funny? Like, I don't know. Am I leaving the church? What am I supposed to do right now? Like, imagine, like, that moment, and, like, j just ask yourself, how do you think Joe Bates feels about me right now? Like, like, what do you think is going through, like, Stephen Harrison's mind? Which, by the way, I asked for permission from all those women, so it's okay. Yes, breathe. <laughs> like, I don't think it's an accident, and if you're not aware of this, that Jesus correlates himself to the church as a, as a groom to a bride. And what's crazy to me is that moment felt so tense and so awkward. And like, what, even if all those things were true, which if you know those people, it's the exact opposite. But even if they were true, even if that was true, like, that's just not cool. 
That's just not cool. Like, how do you think Jesus feels? Not just how we talk about his bride, but more so that awkwardness, it almost happens nonchalantly. Like we just critique and tear up churches and it's like nothing. It doesn't feel like that just felt because there's someone in the room that, you know, loves that person. And you know, like, whoa, 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 that person's in the room. Well, but no, no, like a church can be this display of a corporation. It's far, it's distance. No, like Jesus is not cool in the same way that husband is not cool with me talking about his bride. And so because the church over and over and over is critiqued, and believe me, I get it. There are things within the church, people in the church who have been hurt, things in the church that have caused hurt. I get that tension but too long and for too, and too often, myself included, we've taken a posture of, um, of what I just took, honestly, of just going at other churches, going at, like, even like, what, wouldn't it be worse if I was like, let me talk about Candace for a second, my wife. Like, let's just be straight. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not even going to try to uh, give examples. Let's just leave it at boom, 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 okay? <laughs> so there's nothing there. I have to pretend there's something there, of course. No, but like, this is what we do, right? Victoria, oh, the, the music, oh, it's not deep enough, oh, I'm not welcome, they're not giving, man, like, so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about how beautiful the church is. I want to unpack John 17, I want you to breathe, first of all, and know all of that was part of just kind of setting the tone, shock value, gotcha, okay, don't, send an email, please, I love all those beautiful women of God, I love their husbands, I ask for permission, we're good. Although in first service, I used Cammy, and Richard knew, but Thaddeus, her son, didn't know, and he's a big dude, and so he was ready to fight me. <laughs> but we cleared it up about this time, so we're good. So we're going to go into John 17. Um, so if you can, open your Bibles. Let's, let's do it. Um, my hope is uh, to go through this and unpack the same way you look at a building and you go, um, you're, you're, you see a building being built wherever it is, and you go, you look at it, and you go, I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take, but I'm seeing that building, and I know it's going to be something, and it's not till the end product that you go, oh, that's beautiful. I would argue that's what we see as the church. I think there are parts for sure that you look at the church and you go, what's going on there? But, but that's not helpful if we don't know, fully understand the end game and what Jesus ultimately proposed, and that's what we're going to try to get at in John 17. So I hope to do that well. Let's start in verse 1. Uh, just so you know, this chapter is, uh, I would argue, the greatest prayer of all time. It is what is known as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for his disciples um, on his way to the cross, okay? Now, as we're going to read it, I need you to do me a favor real quick. I need you to jot your eyes down to verse 20 for me, okay? In verse 20, it says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay, so just to be clear, in the middle of the prayer, Jesus is going to say, yes, I'm praying for and with my disciples right now, but I'm not just praying for them, right? He has his 12 disciples and then, you know, 500, thousands of people who followed him. It is through him and the disciples that the gospel went forward. And so everyone who believes from these men, right, ultimately is who he's praying for. So to be clear, he's also praying for us. This text is ultimately for us in the same way. Okay, so just uh, for clarity on that. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, have glorify, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's stop real quick, okay? From the jump, just to be clear, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to start with declaring um, truths about the one who is praying. He's going to be talking, so he's going to essentially say, hey, let's just clarify where we're at. So the person who is praying, this is what we know. Look at verse 1. This person who's Jesus, who's praying, is to be glorified. Look at verse 4. This Jesus was perfectly obedient to everything his father had given them, given him. You can see that in verse 4. So he is to be glorified. He was perfectly obedient. This is who's praying. He has all authority over flesh. That's in verse 2. So just, just to be clear, the one who is praying this prayer has all authority over flesh. In verse 3, we're told the one that's praying doesn't just provide a way to eternal life. He is eternal life. You see that in verse 3? And then in verse, uh, verse 5, the person who's praying not just has all authority, he's always existed. He existed before creation. You see that in verse 5? So Jesus starts with, let's just set the authority tone. This is who's praying ultimately, and it's really important for us to know. Next, he's going to go from this is who I am to this is who I'm praying for. Here's the identity of the people he's praying for. Specifically in this moment, his disciples, but also those of us who have heard because of their word. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the works, I'm sorry, the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So from there he goes, this is who the person is praying. Then he begins to describe whom he's praying for. Look at, look at verse 6, just so we know. The people who he's praying for belonged to God the Father, and the Father has given them to the one who's praying. He has given all these people over to Jesus. You can see that in verse 6. If you look at verse 8, um, we're told that Jesus has talked to these people that he's praying for. He's spoken to the people he's praying for, and the people he's praying for have listened. They were obedient to hear the words of Jesus, and then they walked out what Jesus told them to do. And then in verse 8 that you can see here, this is important, they know the truth about Jesus. So, so, So the people who are being prayed for know the truth of the one who is praying. Okay, so here, here's kind of the, the tables being set. The person who's praying, this is what we can know about him. The one who's being prayed for, this is what we can know about him. And then, before Jesus even gets fully into the prayer, he starts to touch on it, he describes everyone else. So just to be clear, he's going to create a juxtaposition of the people he's praying for, and then he's going to be clear, clear. But I ain't praying for everybody. Listen, look, look at this, verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Okay, Stop. So he has, he just made a delineation. I'm praying for my people. I'm not praying for everyone else. Now this everyone else that that the world appears nine times in the next just under a dozen verses from nine to 19. If you see it, you can look at it. It appears in verse nine, 11, 13, 14, twice actually, 15, 16, and 18 twice. So Jesus is going, I'm praying for these people, not these people. And he's going to create what we need to know about the relationship between these two people. Okay, so to be clear, look at verse 11. The people he's praying for 
are to represent Jesus to the people he's not praying for. Do you see that? So, so he is praying for believers, followers of him who have heard his word and, and follow. He's praying for them to be a representation of him to those who do not follow. Because he just said, I'm leaving, but they're still here on, on the earth. Look at verse 14. The world, the, the people he's not praying for, is going to hate the people he's praying for because they follow his word. You see that in verse 14? Verse 15. Uh, so this is important. Even though the world is supposed to hate, even though the world hates them, the people he's praying for are supposed to be amidst the people he's not praying for. You see that? He says, I'm not saying remove yourself from the people I'm not praying for. No, 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 no. Be with the people I'm not praying for. Believers, be with non-believers. I'm not saying remove yourself from the world. No, 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 be there, okay? But even though that's true, just let the dominoes fall real quick. So there's a separation. I'm supposed to be amongst these people. These people hate me. But then we see the beauty of verse 15, at the end of verse 15. Even though they hate me, no evil will befall me. No evil will befall the person who is being prayed for. They will be protected. Okay, we on the same page. So we have uh, now here Jesus described himself. Jesus described the people he's praying for. And Jesus then just de- defined the relationship between those he's praying for and those who he's not praying for. The people who uh, uh, do not hold to the, the words of Jesus. And then verse 20 is where we started. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then verse 21, just the first two words, that they, they, okay? Let's stop before we read the rest of our text. Let's just real quick and breathe. Let's define the they. When I say the people who he's praying for, what do I mean? Okay, Um, the best way I can do this is by an example. If I am in India, and I'm in line somewhere, okay? And uh, people, for, there's Indians who are, are in front of me and behind me all the way, and about six or seven people up. There's a white guy who's totally speaking English, maybe has a little bit of draw on his voice, like Josh. Ugh, Lord, okay? Um, although he's been getting me say y'all, which is so unfortunate, um, okay? But, but here's, let, let's say he's got a little bit of draw on his voice. He's wearing a red hat with right lettering, if you know what I'm talking about up front. And so he's in that line. Now here's the deal. The way he's dressed... The way he talks, his mannerisms, I'm going, most likely that dude's probably American. We're probably from the same country. I can tell by looking at him and hearing him and interacting with him, I could see where he's from. Now, this may sound crazy to you. And honestly, I'm not even really scared about how overly spiritual this sounds. You may not be able to do that with uh, with believers, physically see. But I'm telling you spiritually, it's true. I remember 2008, I'm sitting in the Philippines at a table uh, with uh, um, another believer, and we're having, there's a translator there with us, and he's translating. I'm in this conversation with this man that's being uh, translated, the conversation's being translated, and I'm talking with him, and and I don't care, this, this is, it is what it is. I felt the Jesus in him. Like, I'm talking with him, and he's describing stuff he's struggling with, and I'm going, dude, like, we come from different cultures. We don't speak the same language, but I know what you're feeling right now. He's talking about how he's fighting sin, how he's trying to love his neighbor. And I'm going, yes. And then we're in worship together and I'm watching him worship and I'm going, dude, are we twins? What's going on right now? Like there was this connection that regardless if you fully understand, if you're not a believer, that when you talk to someone who has a 
a full-fledged desire to know the creator of the universe, and you're in conversation, there is a kindredness about that that you go, do you get it? Like I'm talking to her, she gets it. There's something about that moment that you go, yes, in the same way I can identify that person who's a couple uh, people in front of me in line as an American. I can do this with believers. Now, what's tricky about this is um, that is true, not just cross-culturally and not just in our own culture, but if you were to take a believer from the first century who is completely like I mean, context is completely different. And you right now, and you somehow, you could figure out a way to communicate. It would be the same. There is something about the Jesus within them and the Jesus within you. And you go, yes, this is why some of you read old, like dead people who write these books for Jesus Christ. And you go, they're describing me right now. That's why that happens. You know how many people's hearts have melted over Romans and 1 Corinthians. You read it and you're, you're tying yourself to something more. And this is Jesus' prayer. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved and loved them even as you loved me. Let's verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Okay. I get it. You've got golfing buddies. Maybe you go with some coworkers after work and get, get a couple beers. Um, and you've got classmates. You've got friends from childhood. You've got friends you just made. Um, work buddies. I don't know. Whatever it is. You've got those people. Jesus just told us yes and amen to those people. Yes and amen. Be in relationship with those people. But tell me if they're not believers, there's just not a oneness about it. Like there's something about that you long for them to know Jesus because you agree on like all these things, but the most important thing, you just don't see eye to eye. You're not meant, you're meant to be friends with them. You're meant to continue to be in their lives, but you're not one with them. You're not one with them. And this is what Jesus has called us to. Now, why would Jesus do this? I mean, just contemplate this for a second. This prayer caused most of the issues in the New Testament that you have Hellenistic Jews and you have Jews, you have Greeks all coming together. Uh, it caused a lot of issues within early church history. It caused a ton of issues within denominations and traditions because the reality is not everybody in this room, or should I say nobody in this room, was born a believer. Like you didn't just come out and suddenly like uh, recite the Apostles' Creed. And so as you're born, you learn things, right? And eventually you came to Jesus, which means you came to Jesus with a past, a background, with preferences, with political views. You got it all. And so now here you are colliding and Jesus said, be one. And I'm not just talking like the gangster uh, in the, this, the same room with the, the youth group kid. Let's make this real, tangible. The dude who walks in with the BLM shirt and the guy with the red hat and the white lettering. Be one. Like, think of the tension in the room. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he pray? Dude's got all authority, so his prayers are definitely being heard. Why would he pray that we would be one? This is only going to cause friction. It's only going to be difficult. 
One word, joy. See, you want comfort, but you don't need comfort. You need each other. You, you, you want to be able to sit back in echo chambers, and you want to be able to find people that you agree with, but Jesus is pushing you right now to be around people that aren't like you this is, and be one with them. And this is what I love. It's not that Jesus is just praying that you would be one. Here's how you're one. You are one because you are in union with Jesus Christ, right? Then this person is in union with Jesus Christ. That means whoever else is in union with Jesus Christ is in union with you. You now are together in the same way that Jesus and the Father are together. You and I as believers are together. This is crazy. This is awesome. This is what Jesus puts in front of us. This is his hope. This is his prayer that we would be one. We would be one. We would come together. And it's so easy for us to find reasons not to be. But, man, you you do it for your golf buddies. You press in for uh, your childhood friends. And like the first spark of like contingency, the first spark of uh, fighting, the first spark of disagreement, I'm out. That's not one. So here's what I've wanted to do for, um, I don't know, probably four months now. Because uh, you know what I'm going to do with this. I mean, the, here's the reality. Sundays are great, you guys. Sundays are awesome. Uh, I love Sundays. I love that we get to worship together, get to do baptisms. But hear me. Um, it's really hard to get to know somebody. If you're wearing the red hat and the other person's wearing the BLM shirt, it's really hard to get to know somebody for 10 minutes inside a Paseo Verde gymnasium. So you know what I'm calling you to. You need to get in living rooms. You need to be in community with people. Yes, it is a night or a day of the week. It is time-consuming. It is not easy. I get it. But you need to find your way in community because, listen, you don't need comfort. Don't believe that lie. You don't need comfort. You need each other. And if you've got each other, you've got a lot of discomfort. You've got a lot of friction. You've got a lot of ideas. So here's what I want to do. I want to share the beauty that I have found in the last seven years of community. We planted on Sundays four years ago almost four years ago in February, but three years before that, we started meeting on Friday night. We just decided, let's get in our living room. We didn't have a lot of friends. We said, let's just do this. And for seven years, pretty much every week, every night, uh, um, every week of the year, uh, we get together. It's been on Monday nights and Friday nights, different nights. We have dinner together. We study sometimes. We hold each other accountable. Uh, We serve together. I want to share over the last seven years, I want you to see the beauty of it. Now, there's a few things about this. There are going to be quite a few inside jokes. Hear me. You may not fully understand them, but this is important. What Jesus is putting in front of you is to start your own inside jokes with the people in the church. You understand? I love inside jokes. One day I hope to be a part of one. Um, what's what Sunday would be without an office reference? Let me say it like this. Um, I've been in a room, and we have as a community rallied around a woman whose husband left her and then fled the country sat in a room uh, with women walking through body issues and just sobbing. Um, we've had to talk with people, dozens of, of people we're in community with through molestation for them or their kids. Uh, we've sat in rooms and heard people's sex addiction, walked people through miscarriages, um, have been walked through with a miscarriage, uh, with people who are going through foster care, both have received and gone through. Listen, 
There was not one of those moments that I was like, this is amazing. They were terrible. I mean, terrible. Like, moments, you, you, what, are you, what, what can you say to someone, a, a woman who's lost her child? Like, there's zero words to say. There's nothing you can do. All you can do is cry with them. That's it. It was awful. But, but it's not just what sin brought on, on our lap. It's also, I've been in rooms where we've had to address the sin that we're bringing. I've had to sit in a room with a group of guys, and we had to um, rebuke one of the guys in our community for sleeping with someone else's wife. I've had a, countless conversations on pirating music, mistreating your spouse, the way people raise their kids, which is always super fun, not being faithful in community. None of these conversations. Like, I don't wake up and go, all right, who are we going to rebuke today? Okay? Like, I'm a pretty abrasive person, but I don't love, like, the fact that we had to sit down with somebody that we love and are in community with and talk to them about sleeping with someone else's wife. This is reality. But even though that's true, like, this is all part of the, the, the mix of the community. Um, I have been on a lake on a jet ski and lost the key. And we're just sitting there. What are you supposed to do when you're in the middle of a lake and you lost the key to the wave? Because if you just leave the wave runner, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've lost four volleyball tournaments, but I've won one. I've played the game fishbowl over two dozen times, and I've only won one time. It's always guys versus girls, and I've lost so many times. I've done white elephant gifts every single year for the last seven years. Not one time have I got a good white elephant gift. I've went on a snowboarding trip. We camped on a beach uh, quite a few times. One of the times we camped on a beach and we were next to a guy that was so plastered, he didn't know he was playing the same Bon Jovi song over and over and over again all night long, all night long. Patrice Harder was so mad, okay? I've done Tough mutters with you. I've hiked the Grand Canyon with you. We've raised our kids together. This has been my experience. This is the joy that Jesus has brought me. I've built gardens with you. We've, we've come together to build water wells in India together. We went to Mexico and built a house together. In the middle of the night, heard aliens. I mean, real talk. This happened. We've sang to the elderly together. We've held communion together. But it's not just what we've done together. Man, uh, we've been so loved. Like one time, Candace and I, every year, um, you guys provide space for us for four days for Candace and I to go on our anniversary to, to California. And... We go and we come back and just kids, we've got young kids, it's not easy, and our house is completely spotless. And I don't mean the way that you would clean it. I mean like if you brought like a cleaning crew in, totally clean. Countless Chipotle money, which is probably the best thing on this list. We went through a six-month leave of absence, and all we had was you. We've been prayed for a lot. Man, have we been prayed for a ton. But I've also been like mad at you. At times, like I've been frustrated. I've been confused by your like life choices. Um, dumbfounded at the sin that you continue to envelop yourself in. I mean, there's moments of frustration and, and, and confusion. And um, yeah, it's tough. And like, would it be easier for the last seven years for Candace and I to not have someone at our house, to not have people at our house and just to do dinner, just our family? Yes, it, it would absolutely be easier. Um, but I, hear me when I say this, it's not for my greatest joy. Like, um, it would be easier, but my character and my relationship with the Lord would reflect that easiness. 
And everything I'm saying, this, like, it, it almost sounds kind of super sexy. Like, I can present in front of you like, yeah, I want that. Even the, the tough, I want the stories. But listen, 95% of the time, you know what it felt like? It felt like what it was. Sitting on a couch next to someone I barely know eating macaroni and cheese. And there's lots of awkward silences. That's what it felt like. And deciding in that moment, I'm going to know them. We're going to get to know each other. And if we don't choose that path, there are at least 150 people in this room that we have not shared those experiences with. Our joy. Jesus called us to that for our joy. He called us to be one, to share the miscarriages, the pain, the losing of the jet ski keys, the the, the building of the houses in Mexico. He called us to be one for our joy. So, so good. And so to be clear, who the they are in our church, I want to give a rundown of that. This is who the they are in our church, and I would encourage you to hear this because um, I hope that I can explain everybody and why you're needed. Um, millennials, I'm well aware that we are accused of being a young church, and that means because we have a lot of millennials. I get it. Um, it's not that you're just needed. Um, But be aware of two things if you're a millennial in the church. One, it's hardest for you to go to church, period, more than any other generation. All the other generations have the luxury, at least in part, of it still being culturally okay. It's not culturally okay for you anymore. So you pay a huge price in that. But the fervor you bring, the passion you bring, the idealism you bring, the church doesn't understand because there's a suppression um, over and over towards the millennials to let you flourish. Hear me, you are are redemption peoria it's not just because you have young backs or we need you in children's ministry which we do it's because of who you are what jesus is doing in your life we need to be reminded of of where we need to go we need to be reminded that ultimately like we can let go of everything and just go follow jesus and be a little bit reckless help us remember that to the young families um you're in a zone right now, and I speak this not just on my own wisdom, but what I've, I've been told by even older generations. You're in a zone right now where you are stretched more than any other period or, or space of, of, of people in the room. Meaning you, you have kids right now that, for the most part, people who are younger than you have no idea how much time they have on their hands, right? You're going like, oh, you don't have free time? Well, I'm raising four kids. I like you don't have free time, right? And so you, you are in a zone right now where you're stretched to capacity. Hear me when I say this. Can you please show us what it looks like to give everything when you have nothing left? And can you show us what it looks like to receive when you need? We know you need help. I'm one of them. I need help. Dig in to the singles. Um, I'm personally very grateful for those of you who are single in the room. You ground us in such a way that you remind us that we don't need a family. We don't need a spouse to love Jesus. That no matter what culture says about the American dream and pursuing the white picket fence, those are facades and you remind us of what eternity will be, the love for Jesus. That we will be like angels in heaven. I'm not going to have to trip on my spouse or my kids. God's got it. And here you are in a space where you have the ability to give everything and please do. Because listen, you can't give the way, that you're, the way that you're single when you become married. You can't. And so you have a period of your life right now where you can give differently. You are redemption Peoria. Older families. Um, 
not only do we, I'm just going to speak personally, not only do I, but we need you, those of us who are younger families and singles, we need you because you're like Samwise to Frodo, meaning like the ring is just too heavy to bear and Samwise at one point just picks him up and carries him up the mountain, right? I, we need to be reminded that at the end of the day, this trip isn't going to take our life, right? Like, oh wait, our kids are going to survive and we're going to survive? You mean like there's actually hope? Yes, like those of you who have older kids, we need you to dig in and show us that. Those of you who have older kids, those of you who are, who are a, a, a step or two steps ahead, dig in and help us. And, and more than that, if you're in that age, most likely you're a Gen Xer, um, which means like you were born in the 60s or 70s or close to. Hear me, I need you to remind the 18 and 19-year-old girls that they did not invent bell-bottoms and overalls. You understand? Like you did that. That was you. And they're walking around like they're like, they got a new thing. That ain't new. You were doing that like 50 years ago. Can you please remind them of that? Even as a child of nine, they got the one strap on the overalls. I'm like, bro, my wife was doing that like 20 years ago. Like you ain't cool. Okay. Well, maybe that is, I don't even know what's cool anymore. Baby boomers. Um, this says not, nothing against any other generation, including my own, but you are the crown jewel of our church. I say that because, um, you know, what was said about Eugene Peterson um, before he passed, the second book before he died, they said he was in the zone of wisdom. And the reason is because he had lived such a life that he had kind of experienced all the things before or after him of the people they were going to experience, but he, he was young enough to, to, to still remember those experiences and know what to do with that wisdom. He was in like this prime state. He was in this like stay at the gate uh, phase of his life. That's you. Like we need you. And what I have found personally is it's actually hardest for you, even more than the people above you and the people below you, to get into community, to get in a living room. Because the reality is, man, I'll just say it for all of us. We're not good at asking for help. But here's what's crazy about the position you're in. You know we need help. We think we have all the answers. You know we don't. Then there are these glimpses where we realize we need help. Can you just acknowledge we need help and help us already? Like just be there. And that means there's going to be moments where you're in a living room with a 19-year-old who suddenly has all the answers to life. And you're sitting there going, just wait. We need you. You, you, you are in prime phase. You, you are even for those people who are a step ahead of me to raise the teenage kids. We need you, baby boomers. We need you in the church. You are Redemption Peoria. And then I'll speak lastly to the, um, the silent, the greatest generation, silent and greatest generation. Um, it's unfortunate for those of you who are in the room um, that are part of this generation. I know we don't have as many. Um, this is obviously the oldest generation, huge contingency within Sun City. It's, it's, it's tough because um, we're just now realizing uh, what you have brought to the table. It's almost like we're too late. Like we're, we're just now seeing um, and hearing your voice in areas of like nutrition, hearing your voices in vocation, hearing your voices in parenting, putting your head down. Like we're just now learning that. So hear me when I say this. I know it's not an easy ask, but can you please remind us of a time when things weren't as fast, when screens weren't needed, and for the love of everything, remind us of a time when hard work wasn't an option. Like you just had to dig in. We need you desperately. Um, I want to read a quote from 
Charles Spurgeon. But before I do, uh, there's something to be said about this and even just particular to the older generation. Uh, You know, we live in a YouTube culture where there's kind of a jack of all trades and not really a need for expertise anymore. Meaning if I have an issue with plumbing, I can try to fix what's under my sink because of YouTube. Like YouTube solves everything. Like I just look at YouTube, right? Now I might need an expert if I mess it up or there's something further. I can call Bill. But the reality is like I'm kind of going, I can solve most of these. And, and that greatest generation only knew the, the era of expertise, right? And so there's a struggle with that. And here's, here's those of you who are baby boomers and kind of getting older. Here could be your knee-jerk reaction to all of this. Um, let me give you an example of this. So those of you guys know, those of you know this, I like gardening and I love planting trees and just figuring it out, that, that the soil, all that stuff. And so one of the things I want to try in the next couple of years is grafting. There's a, a buddy named Nick who's tried his hand at it a couple times. But grafting is a, a pretty tricky concept. It's taking a tree, putting on a different rootstock. It requires a lot of knowledge. It requires expertise. You may not be aware of this, but there are only four expert grafters in the state of Arizona left. And they got, I don't, I don't know, between them, maybe 40 years left. Okay? And one of them is actually fi- at 59th and Bell. There's two in the valley and two in Tucson. And when I say graft, I mean, they can take a rootstock from Arizona and they could put like seven different peaches and two different oranges on one tree, like ballers. Okay. So Reed at RSI growers is one of these grafters and uh, it's where I get my trees from. He's at 59th and bell. And so um, I'm talking with one day and I'm, he's showing me these trees that he's grafted six different types of apples, four different types of peaches. And I go, Reed, dude, you got to teach me this. Like, show me the ways of the Jedi here. Like, come on, bro. And I'm not saying this for the sake of like crude language. This is what he said to me. He looked at me and he goes, screw your generation. You want processed food, you can have it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, no, Reed, please get out. He wouldn't let me buy trees from him anymore. No, that didn't happen. Um, you, don't do that. Don't go there. I know it's easy to look at like all that's going on and go, there's no, like, forget, you know what? You, you, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Please dig in. Please dig in. Those of you who are older, please. I know it's not going to be easy. It's a huge ask, but dig in. Now, if we can do this well, Jesus tells us, he gives us a hint as to what will happen if we do this well. I want you to look again now at verse 23, the middle of 23. There's the words, so that. If we can become one, and I'm just talking generationally here. We're not talking race. We're not talking uh, gender. We're not talking socioeconomic class. All those things, we're bringing different things to the table. That's just generationally. If we can become one and do this well, there's a so that. You ready? If we do this well, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The world, the people not being prayed for, will see our oneness. And I think that's ultra true right now in the United States. They will see our oneness and they will know what is true about Jesus in the same way we know what is true about Jesus. Unity and oneness has been hijacked from the church and finds itself in all of these pockets. And here, this was the plan of Jesus all all along. Let me read Spurgeon and we'll get out of here. My dear brothers and sisters, give me your hand. Never mind about a thousand differences if you are in Christ and I am in Christ. We cannot be two. We must be one. Let us love each other fervently with a pure heart. Let us live on earth as those who are to live together for a long eternity in heaven. 
Let us help each other's spiritual growth. Let us aid each other as far as possible in every holy spiritual enterprise, which is for the promotion of the kingdom of the Lord. And let us chase out of our hearts everything which would break the unity which God has established. Let us cast from us every false doctrine, every false thought of pride, of enmity, of, of envy, of bitterness, so that we whom God has made one may be one before men, as well as before the eye of the heart-searching God. May the Lord bless us, dear friends, as a church, make us one and keep us so. For it will be the dead stuff among us that will make divisions. It is the living children of God who make the unity. It is the living ones who are bound together. There will be no fear about that. Christ's prayer takes, play, uh, takes care of us so that we shall be one. And then he addresses those of you who are in the room and say, man, I'm not a believer. I'm just here for whatever reason. As for those of you who are joined with us in visible fellowship and are not one with Christ, may the Lord save you with his great salvation and and his shall be the praise. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for John 17. Jesus, thank you for your prayer. Um, we need it probably, um, just as, at least as a nation, more than ever. We're so fickle about where we want to belong. We're so fickle about what we like. We're so nitpicky about trying to find reasons to divide, reasons not to be in the living room with one another, reasons not to be in community, people we don't like, whatever it is. And yet, amidst this discomfort, we find our joy. We need to learn it. It's not easy, but we need to learn it. So Jesus, I would pray that you would show us how to fulfill your prayer. I pray very specifically for Redemption Peoria, that this would be true of us, that we would learn to be one and we would be display on mission before the world as we unite together, apart from all the differences we may have, we continue to dig in to know each other well and be in union with you and therefore be in union with each other. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.